Patriots Daily is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Callis here from CLNS Media. Technology tried to stop us. Human error tried to stop us. But we fought through, we powered through, and we are finally here. I am joined by my buddy Jeff Howe of The Athletic, who does a tremendous job covering the entire league. But considering it's been a literally nonstop week for the Patriots, I figure we might as well get somebody on who has a good grasp of what's going on, not only with the pass, but league-wide, to get some idea of how the Patriots are moving forward now out of the Belichick era into the Gerard Mayo era. But before we get into some breaking news from last night, Jeff, how are you doing? Are you sleeping? Are you taking care of yourself? What has the past week or plus been like for you? Uh, definitely not sleeping. Uh, it's debatable on areas of where I'm taking care of myself or not. But I'm here. I got I, I got just enough energy to get us through this, so I'm looking forward to it, and I appreciate you having me. Appreciate you being on, brother. All right, so like I said, some breaking news. We're going to try to hit this stuff in chronological order because if we don't, I think that I will start confusing myself. But we got to address this one first. Bill Belichick, just days after the Patriots, obviously they part ways mutually. They announced Rod May was the new head coach. Then soon after, Belichick takes his first coaching interview with the Atlanta Falcons. I feel like when news came out that there was some interest from the NFC South, it seemed like the Falcons are probably the best fit for him in terms of where they're at, um, both money-wise, draft pick-wise, roster-wise, all those things. Could you give us some insight into what you know about this situation and maybe how great a fit the Falcons are relative to some other teams that might be uh, looking for his services? Well, I think the, the number one thing you have to look at is where is Bill Belichick's easy or best path the most conducive path to 15 wins going to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wants that wins record, and I think that's the priority. So certainly take some pretty obvious teams off the table. I think the Falcons are ready to win just enough now. I'm not going to say they're going to be a Super Bowl favorite or contender if Belichick gets there, but that's an extremely winnable division. Mm -hmm. They've got a, a pretty good chunk of offensive talent they if they get the quarterback situation right whether it's a draft pick like Jaden Daniels or if they can get um, you know some decent play out of a veteran to come in and just sort of be a point guard with all of that material around him we know I mean we saw uh, I mean certainly you have with you know covering him as closely as you did last season the guy mm -hmm. can still coach defense yeah uh, and it's it's not going to take a lot to get in there and leave his mark in the NFC South so if these two bigger jobs in the NFC East don't happen to open up. I think Atlanta is probably the best fit. Uh, the Chargers could still be a wild card. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think everybody would say, oh, well, what about the money? I don't, Belichick doesn't need to make any more money. He needs a path to 15 <laughs> wins. Uh, and right now, Atlanta is probably looking like the best path unless something else opens up here in, in the very near future. The part of me that still, you know, I feel for Belichick, I just want, and the Falcons, just to actually be able to take advantage of the talent they have, Jaden Daniels, get him on that team. I feel like there was just like the fan fiction of maybe they get Lamar Jackson last offseason and how he could open up that offense. Obviously, that didn't play out. So maybe a little Lamar Jackson-like could be fun. But this is a Pats pod, so we got to refocus Bill Belichick. So obviously, his era has ended. I feel like there's been 
some speculation over, you know, is Belichick kind of getting bashed a little bit now that he's out of the door? There's all these news reports saying, you know, this is what happened wrong in the Belichick era. It's rubbing some people the wrong way. Frankly, I always felt that it seemed more like just uncomfortable truths that are coming out now that things are officially over. For So from your perspective, you did a great piece on how the Mac Jones situation, the offense in general, and some personnel decisions led to Belichick's downfall. So could you get into that from your perspective? What did go wrong? And is this just, you know, the result? of when an era does end you got to understand the full picture of why it happened yeah for sure uh and i think you kind of hit the nail on the head with a few of those different areas and I'll, I'll certainly jump right into it i mean the whole perspective that he's getting bashed on his way out the door the smear campaign or whatever look i've seen some of my twitter mentions i know how people feel about the story i wrote over the weekend i get that but all i did was lay out a series of factual events and, and stuff that I had been working on for a considerable amount of time and really going back to before it even looked like Belichick's job was truly in jeopardy. So these are not things that, you know, Belichick got fired and I just all of a sudden picked up the phone and, and found some people who I knew would say certain things to fit the story. No, this is mm -hmm. this is stuff that was well reported for a, a long time. I can't speak for any of the other stories that have been out there, but as it related to Belichick, I mean, it's it's all a lot of the same stuff is pretty obvious. You know, not having a succession plan for Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Josh McDaniels. Those were major uh, flaws against his resume. And then the draft results over the past decade have been really, really bad. And there's been some, you know, it's some sprinkled in picks here and there, but it's not even just the draft results. Um, another concerning thing is just the willingness or the unwillingness to pay market value for the draft hits. You know, guys like Joe Tooney, who went to Kansas City and played really well. I know Trey Flowers had some injury luck, uh, misfortune after he left. But I mean, this was a guy who played at a very high level, was a great locker room guy, didn't want to pay him. And, and there are other examples of that. And, you know, I think that that has kind of shown how the game has changed, you know, when when. Uh, when Kraft hired Belichick in 2000, as Kraft has said a million times, he really admired how much Belichick had an understanding of the salary cap. And that was when the salary cap was like five years old. So there was there was an unwillingness around the league to really get into the the, the smaller details of the salary cap and, and all that stuff. So Belichick had an early understanding of it. But the part of the downfall, I think, with that particular area is his unwillingness to pay wide receivers, defensive ends, offensive tackles, and since Brady left, quarterback. And those are just non-negotiable areas. You need star power there. And when you're picking later in the draft, you don't always get you know the, the best kick at the can to fill those needs. But when you have them, you got to pay for them. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't have them, you get creative. You know, like a Miami Dolphins team going out and getting Tyreek Hill or the Eagles getting – A.J. Brown, you know, you have to invest in those key areas. And I know it's easy to kind of look at the Eagles right now and say, oh, well, where has that gotten them? Just a year ago, they were playing in the Super Bowl and they had 70 sacks. And it was because they were paying defensive ends and, and edge rushers who could get after the quarterback. They had just invested a first round pick in Devontae Smith, a first plus basically for A.J. Brown. And they weren't afraid to uh, and they had such a conducive area of or a, uh, a roster that was conducive to developing a quarterback and then paying Jalen Hurts, you know, that was a, a really good model. And Belichick has really failed in that sort of area. You know, Mac Jones specifically, it was, it started off well, as we all know, 
not having a succession plan for McDaniels uh, was just an inexcusable mistake. And the relationship between Belichick and Jones was in a really bad place. And it had been in a really bad place. And when you're the head coach, it's on you to try to find a way to get that to a better place. Mm-hmm. You can, I understand the fan base isn't thrilled with what Mac Jones has, you know, turned into on the field, off the field, however you want to spin it. There are going to be areas that you don't like about the quarterback. Uh, and you can sit there and you can say, well, toughen up or, or be more of a leader or be better at this, this, and this. But the coach has to meet you halfway. And mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, they're, each side, each party has their own areas where you can find faults. When you're the coach in, in charge of this entire operation, you have to find ways to put your players in an area to succeed. And that was so instrumental for Belichick's reign for 18 plus years during the, the height of the dynasty, mm-hmm. where he found ways to put his guys in positions to succeed. And he did everything to, to really help Mac Jones fail over the yeah. past two years. And ultimately, he's out of a job as a result. And I know there's been some criticism also for the Crafts where people are saying, oh, they're starting to get involved. They're interfering more. Whereas we've known this to be Bill Belichick's operation and the Crafts keep a distance. I have an issue with that because you could, I think the best argument you can make is maybe the, the part of Gerard Mayo's contract that stipulated that he was a succession plan. Maybe that rubbed people on the coaching staff the wrong way. I think you could debate whether that was the right move or not. But beyond that, I feel like their interference has been pretty understandable. There was a whole Matt Patricia thing where it sounded like Belichick was kind of trying to groom Matt Patricia to maybe take over for that, just from what it sounded like, where he wanted him to become the next offensive coordinator and seemed like he wanted Matt Patricia to have more say in personnel. And the craft stepped in and were like, nope, we're going to. We're going to stop this. We saw how that worked. I don't want to continue to put any stock in this. We're going to go with Bill O'Brien. So do you think that the crafts are becoming more involved than usual in a negative way? Do you see that as something that could maybe continue into the Mayo era? Or do you just think they were trying to save, you know, Robert Kraft kept saying, we are the custodians of this asset. Do you think they were just trying to start correcting the ship before it went all the way off course? Yeah, I just think that everybody around here was so used to it being one way for such an extensive period of time that when it when it looks or gives off the appearance of change, people are going to be skeptical. And I get that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, speaking to head coaches or general managers or high ranking members of organizations around the league since I've kind of moved into this NFL role over the past three years, there's a very real understanding of everybody's got their role. And mm-hmm. if you're not winning on the fields, you become culpable or, or um, you become more of a target for the person mm-hmm. who's paying you or who's your immediate boss within that organization. Uh, I mean, there's, I speak with people who lose their jobs, you know, at the end of the season, middle of the season, whatever. And they just more often than not, they're like, Hey, this is just what we signed up for. You know, it's, it's the mm-hmm. harsh reality that if you don't win, if you don't produce the results that you're expected to get, you're paid very well to get, so they're going to try to find somebody else to do that uh, in, in place of you. And, so I, that's just sort of a long-winded way of me saying that when you own the team, you can do whatever you want. I mean, that's <laughs> you, you put yourself in that position where there's nobody above you. And there are uh, – now, don't get me wrong. There are owners who do too much, and mm-hmm. that's very obvious. And we don't need to go through the list. I mean, everybody kind of knows who those guys are. Um, there are owners who don't do enough, and that's also a problem. I mean, I'll, I'll speak to somebody and be like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen ownership around here and. 
a month or, or weeks or you know you're looking for some direction and, and it's just nowhere to be found so okay. you, you got to find a happy medium you got to find what works and i think when the offensive situation failed as spectacularly as it did with the coaching decision to to have matt patricia call the plays after or during the 22 season robert Kraft was well within his right to step in and say i see where this is going i don't like it and it's time <laughs> to fix it I think that's completely valid. And Bill Belichick is the main one and always has been the main one to say, I'm in charge of everything. Everything comes down to me. He's the one making the final decisions. And as Robert Kraft said in his final press conference with Bill, everybody needs someone telling them no. There needs to be checks and balances. It felt like his way of politely saying like, yeah, Bill was starting to kind of put my my franchise in a way I didn't like and we had to move on. We are going to transition into the Mayo era. But first, got to pay the bills. Quick word for our friends at FanDuel. We'll be back. Well, the NFL season is wrapping up, but there is still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's pretty good math, right? That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. The best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Okay, so we briefly touched on it earlier. Obviously, the Patriots had it in Gerard Mayo's contract, an extension that he signed last offseason, where it said that he was supposed to be the succession plan, allowed them to bypass the traditionally very long hiring process for head coaches. But there was some debate over whether or not that was actually a good idea. Now, there was also, I believe, Phil Perry reported that the plane was sped up by a year, where it was supposed to be after this season, then they transitioned to Mayo. But obviously, things went so badly in 2023 that it had to get moved up a little bit. 
in your opinion, do you think that the Crafts made the right decision? Because Gerard Mayo, I think people forget that this isn't just someone they've had in their building a few years. Gerard Mayo has known the Crafts since he was 23 years old. He was drafted by the team, played for them, you know, was briefly away when he was in media and business. The Crafts got him the business opportunity that he had, and then he came back and has been on the staff since 2019. So do you think that was the right move and just a vote of confidence and, hey, we know this guy better than anybody. We want him leading our franchise. Or do you think they did themselves a disservice not interviewing Mike Vrabel or any other candidates on the market? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the uh, the PC answer here and say we'll find out when they hit the field next yeah. season. Um, but like ultimately, I know that's not what you're looking for, so I'll play ball. Oh, we'll chase you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you know, let's back it up a year when mm -hmm. Mayo was continuing to get interview requests for other jobs, and I think there was a very necessary moment of desperation from the craft side to say, this is going to look really embarrassing if Mayo leaves to become a defensive coordinator for another organization. Mm -hmm. If he leaves to become a head coach, hey, you know what? That's that's a feather in the cap. That's real, That's a badge of honor. That's You, you developed a, a, an assistant coach who was so highly thought of around the league that he became a head coach elsewhere. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. But when you've got Belichick, not giving Mayo the DC title and then other teams are saying, Hey, we'd like you to be our DC and the Patriots can't block him from those interviews. If they lost him that way, it was not going to look good for the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think Kraft recognized that sort of a, a different type of challenge as to trying to keep Josh McDaniels in prior years where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, I don't want to lose yet another coach, let alone somebody who I have a, a deep appreciation and admiration for, so maybe it's not just the money that motivates him. Maybe he wants to be validated in a different sort of way. And I'm kind of speculating more on that side of it. But when you put in something like that in his contract and it basically gives you the right of first refusal as to whether or not you want him to be the successor, you know, I think that was just a, a, a good showing of faith for let's make sure that we don't lose this guy because he's such a valued member of the organization. Now, I think to the second part of your question, <clears throat> I, I think that's absolutely fair to criticize and to be concerned about in the future as to whether or not they opened up a big enough umbrella. I mean, I personally thought that they should uh, explore every option. Uh, the thing that's become in vogue for the last th few years, I guess, in these hiring cycles, like it used to be like teams would interview like three, four candidates. Now it's <laughs> like if you don't get an interview request, it's like, what am I doing here? You know, you're kind of like Will Smith at the end of the Fresh Prince uh, series there. Um they interview like 12 to 15 guys, 12 to 15 candidates every cycle. And um, it's, I thought they would have done well to at least branch out from outside the organization to see what it's like to have other teams or how other teams run their business. Even if it's coming back to Mayo uh, at the end of all of it, I, I thought it would have been uh, a, a good idea to at least try. Now I understand uh, both sides of it, wanting to keep Mayo. And, and then the other part that I, I kind of keep thinking about is the second guessing aspect. Now, let's say they go outside the organization. Let's say they hit a home run, they get a perfect GM, they get Ben Johnson, who's kind of considered that like top candidate, you know, non-Patriots ties, if you right. like Rabel or whatever. Let's just call it, say it's Ben Johnson. Now, Ben Johnson is going to come in as this bright young offensive mind, like that it guy, the it head coaching candidate, like he's got to come in and he's got to save the offense, but he's going to take over an offense that doesn't have a whole lot to be optimistic about. So right. what happens when you start struggling? Let's say you start two and seven next season and all of a sudden it's like, well, did we get the right guy? 
Mm-hmm. But like people are just so unwilling to accept the fact that one person, one head coach, one quarterback, one particular player cannot save an entire organization. So there's all this pressure, there's all this heat on somebody like Ben Johnson to come in. Meanwhile, let's say that means Gerard Mayo takes a head coaching job somewhere else. Now, I think very highly of Gerard Mayo. I tweeted the other day uh, about how, you know, because I started covering the team in 09, so I've known Mayo for a long time. And the way his teammates talked about him, I mean, he's up there with Dante Hightower and Mike Vrabel among the the three smartest linebackers Belichick's ever coached, at least in New England. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody that everybody knew was going to be a head coach uh, at some point uh, in his football career. Now, the question is, is this the best spot for him to succeed right away as the guy who follows Belichick with so much continuity when things have been backsliding for a couple of years? Or what happens if Mayo goes somewhere else? And it's like, this is an extremely talented guy with a ton of potential. Let's say he has early success. Now, all of a sudden, it's like the the second guessing is going in the completely different direction with you know right. the other side of the pendulum there. And it's uh, so there, there's always going to be this way to say, did they do the right thing? Did they do the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think whatever the case, it's fair to to be concerned that they didn't reach out or branch out or whatever. But if they let Mayo go somewhere else and he had success, then that was going to be the criticism as well. Yeah. I mean, you let off perfectly. The answer that is true and that we don't really want to admit because we're like, we want everything right now is that we're not going to know how this plays out for quite some time. But as you also touched on, it is fair to have some skepticism over, okay, but like what if Rabel came in there and just blew you away? And you were like, huh. Maybe there's some more experience Vrabel has that can help him. But also at the same time, if Mayo leaves, he's a guy who's been in your building his entire football career. And then you let him slip. That's a really bad look as well. So we will find out. But for now, in your perspective, what are the pros and cons of Mayo being in this position? Obviously, you know, there's so many things we can list that are positive, And I feel like I've just been trying to throw those out. Because it's an exciting hiring, in my opinion. But at the same time, there are the obvious things that no candidate's perfect. So what are those pluses and minuses uh, in your view? Well, I think the the first is kind of like going back to something we discussed a little earlier. The defense played really well, especially toward the end of the season. They didn't really quit. You know, there was they were definitely looking over their shoulder and wondering why the offense wasn't playing their part. Um, But the defense played really well for a good chunk of the season. So Mayo had a lot to do with that. So all of a sudden, you know, if you have, um, let's say you do bring in an outsider, okay? We'll back it up again. And you've got all these pieces on defense who are Belichick types of guys. And we know (laughs) Belichick has a very particular type of player that he wants to play for his organization. All of a sudden, you bring in somebody else and, and they could look at these pieces and say, there's like three players that I really want to continue coaching. You know, four or five players. That's that's uh that's not enough of a that's 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 not a good percentage. Uh, yeah, that's a rebuild, rebuild. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. you look at you know another example like Frank Reich going down to Carolina. They had some pieces on the offensive line that looked to be good pieces, and Frank Reich is a, a good football coach. Mm-hmm. They had pieces that were left over from previous regimes that they couldn't turn over quickly enough, and all of a sudden now they can't adapt to his run scheme. And the things completely fly off the rails like that. Like you need scheme specific players when you hire a new regime. That's part of the big challenge uh, when it when you get a coaching change. So the continuity there defensively, I, I think, should be maybe you don't have to worry too much about the defense in 
uh, this offseason. You really mm-hmm. probably can focus all in on the offense. Um, again, bright-minded, smart football minds, uh, very relatable. That's something that I've learned a lot over the past, let's call it 18 months to two years around the league, is like this is a new generation of player. Players mm-hmm. want to be yes. able to relate to their coaches. They want to have a relationship with them. They want to be treated as equals. Uh, even if there is that distinction, that line between coaching and player, they want to be viewed as equals. They want to be empowered. Uh, this is no longer a league where you can come in and have that old school way of thinking where I'm the coach. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to do it because I told you what to do. And now I'm going to walk out of the room. And if you don't do that at practice later on, you know, good luck getting on the bus uh, when we go to the stadium on Sunday. Uh, so Mayo is really good at that. So I think that's going to help him. The The minuses are... You know, uh, I'll I'll do the big one. Uh, Josh McDaniels told me for a story in the summer of 22. I, I asked him what, how did he evolve between the Denver job and taking over the Raiders job? And he brought up an interesting story about Denver. Like, oh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like, when I was facing adversity, when things weren't going our way, when we were losing, whatever was going on, you know, think about the way I came up in the NFL. I was hired by Bill Belichick in my early 20s. I worked for my first 10 years in the NFL for Bill Belichick. I knew one way of coaching, and that was from watching Bill Belichick. So when I faced adversity, I just subconsciously reverted to what I saw. So I was basically trying to be like Bill Belichick. It's not like I was going somewhere and trying to be Belichick because I know I'm not him, but right. that was the only thing I knew. And, and mm-hmm. that got him into trouble, and I think that's gotten a lot of um, the coaching tree in trouble where these were guys who came up, they only knew one way. And then they went to a different organization with players who were used to, or who were accustomed to seeing things run in maybe a more player friendly environment. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't mesh as well as you probably wanted it to. And when you're not winning and, and you're grinding as much as you do, it becomes harder to go to work. So I'm really curious. This is not something that Mayo is going to be able to answer. And, and quite frankly, it's probably not something he's going to be able to prepare himself for mm-hmm. until he's going through these adverse situations in on the job, real time training is to say, I need to keep being Gerard Mayo. I need to consciously remind myself that I'm Gerard Mayo. And this is how I need to try to handle this situation, because if he steps outside of who he is as a person, which is what has gotten him to this stage in his career, why he's been so successful. If he gets outside of that, then he can start getting himself into trouble like previous Belichick disciples. Yeah. If you want to be an optimist, you could hang on that, you know, players mention how even though the season was tough, Mayo was the guy who energized them and like didn't want to practice. He gets you to want to practice. You can hang on to that if you want. But at the same time, there's nothing like being the guy who's actually in charge, the one who's running the entire team and having to answer to a whole meeting room and get those guys on board. So that's absolutely fair. Hopefully they won't have to deal with anything like they did last season, but it's the NFL. You truly never know. You mentioned how the Gerard Mayo decision was one where he could kind of, you know, criticize or at least speculate on whether they should have gone a different way and expanded their search when it came to hiring him. Patriots, apparently Belichick wasn't the only one zigging when everyone else zagged because he made another decision that people can fairly, you know, have some questions about. It was reported that they may wait to hire a general manager until after the draft. Now, 
they could always still bring somebody in to kind of have that focused voice. But I'm curious from your perspective, because it sounds like Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf are going to be at the forefront. You know, there's other people who are going to have input. I believe it was reported that Gerard uh, May will also have some input into the player personnel side. How is this going to work, though, from what you know about the organization? Because it is unorthodox, and I understand why there was immediately like outrage over the possibility of not having a GM, although the Crabs have never had a general manager in their 31 years of ownership. Yeah, really interesting the way that this is kind of shaken out. Now, I think when they hired Mayo within 24 hours of Belichick's uh, farewell press conference or, or his address to the media on Thursday, and then they hired Mayo basically by Friday morning, that was a declaration that they're going to keep continuity here. So mm-hmm. you can take probably a good chunk of well-deserving GM candidates off the board because you need that guy to come in and to really mesh well with Mayo right off the bat. And you don't want, you certainly don't want a situation where all of a sudden, you know, you bring in a guy who's not used to working with Mayo and now there's a a power struggle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that may not happen like right off the bat, but again, there's going to be adversity next season. They're going to lose probably a few games in a row at some point. Now does the GM start going upstairs saying, hey, you know what? Like, I I wanted this player. I wanted this guy on the field. I drafted him. I don't understand why he's not getting the playing time. That's not on me. Like, you you can't have that. That's not conducive to winning in any organization. And when those things start to happen, it sometimes if organizations, if ownership doesn't get involved quickly enough, that's something that can spiral out of control. Next thing you know, you're five years down the road wondering why you can't get this right with the GM, the coach, the quarterback, and you just keep this revolving door of chaos. That's not good for anybody. So you need somebody familiar with Mayo. And I I would understand if the fan base rolls their eyes to that, similar to, you know, people who don't like the fact that Mayo was hired without a massive search. They're probably not going to like the fact that there's going to be a lot of continuity with the GM too. But that has to be the plan. Like that's the only way that you can make this thing work in my opinion. So you want to reach out to people who have ties to the organization, whether it's a, a Dave Ziegler or a Bob Quinn or, you know, James Litford, um, guys who understand the way that this is going to work, guys who, again, have a relationship with Mayo and, and understand or have their vision aligned with roster building uh, with him. And yeah, I mean, I would, I don't, whether they give somebody the GM title or not, I mean, I don't know that it would take until after the draft. I mean, Mayo has already been reaching out to people and, and having com- trying to set up conversations. So that doesn't strike me as somebody who's going to be like, all right, you know, let's talk to a bunch of people and then we'll just table it for four months. Like, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense either. You, you don't want to you don't want to wake up and realize, oh, my goodness, free agency was last week. And, and, you know, <laughs> you kind of missed a few players or something like that here. Um, so. I think it's really interesting. I know Mayo's been hustling. He's been doing a ton behind the scenes to try to set up his staff, uh, both upstairs and on the field. And, you know, we'll see. I think there's there could be some pretty decent answers to that on Wednesday when Mayo meets the media for the first time. And from what you know right now, because Robert Kraft did mention having final say and how important that was, does it seem like Gerard Mayo, because you'd hope that this team is going to be through his vision, but again, you've got guys who are higher up in the player personnel departments where, you know, their say matters as well. So is it really a collaborative effort where they just come to a joint decision or at the end of the day, is it Grow? Is it Mayo? Is it Elliot Wolf? Well, I I know Elliot Wolf is very highly respected around the league. I mean, he's a guy with, I think rock star potential from a front office perspective. So let him continue to grow and develop and, 
and maybe be that leader in there. In terms of collaboration, you know, it's an interesting question because I think, and I kind of fell victim to this too, where you just have this assumption that, okay, this person is in charge of the 53. Some organizations, it's been the head coach, sometimes it's been the GM, even when both guys are in place. Um, you know, I've, I've recently heard a little more that that kind of stuff gets overblown. You know, when you have a good coach and a good GM who are aligned, there, there's going to be very few instances when they're going to argue so much over a player that all of a sudden they're going to start screaming at each other or whatever. You know, that I don't think that happens. You know, again, if you are, if you have the right people in place, that's not really going to happen. There right. are going to be disagreements. And something that I heard that I thought was pretty interesting, you know, out from a different team was like, all right, well, if, if our two prominent people here are going to disagree about this player so much, maybe we should just move on. You know, maybe this player is not the right one for our, our team right now. Um, so I think it's, you look at who has final say, that may not be that big of a deal as long as, again, you've got the continuity uh, in place where you've got like-minded thinkers. Now, like-minded mm -hmm. thinkers who are not afraid to say, I don't I don't like this player or whatever. Like, like-minded thinkers does not have to be having a bunch of yes men around you. Mm -hmm. It just needs to be people who, share a vision and know how each one wants to build this team the best way. And last one I'll ask you on this only because Elliot Wolf technically on the hierarchy is underneath Matt Groh. So do you think there's any potential that that creates some weirdness if they do see Elliot? Cause it sounds like Elliot Wolf over Groh would be the one who maybe takes a step up and does earn whatever the title is that they're going to have. So is that kind of a funky situation to you? Because I was curious how that would work or whether Groh's like, Hey, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, it, if my guy gets a raise, awesome for him. I'm still going to do me and, you know, stay in my role. Yeah, I mean, you, you can always wonder how that's going to impact uh, the mm -hmm. egos. Because, I mean, there's egos in this business. And, you know, again, when you're that successful, when you've worked your way up to the very higher up ranks of an organization, it's because you did a lot of things right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's fair for that person, if they do get leapfrogged in any potential decision, to wonder, all right, well, what's my future with the organization? I mean, that happens in basically any job in any industry, you know, yeah. if you get bypassed for a job, it, you usually start looking for a job somewhere else where you might not get bypassed. I mean, that's just, that's human nature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, do you have to worry about feelings at some point? Yeah. You take that in, into consideration, mm -hmm. but if you're craft and you're making this decision and, and you kind of look at, all right, here's, how I want to set up my structure, the hierarchy, what have you. If this is the best guy for the job, you got to make that decision. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Last one for that. We're going to move on to coaches real quick. Now, the Patriots reportedly, if they end up moving on from Bill O'Brien, whether that means that they just decide they don't want to continue with him with Mayo, whether he follows with Belichick, what have you. Albert Beer speculated that this could be an open-minded search. So who do you think, you know, I know the closest person I've seen linked to this is old friend Josh McDaniels. Do you think that's probably more likely? Is he, from your perspective, probably on the top of Mayo's list? Or do you think he could go even wider? Obviously, it is an open-minded search. But how realistic do you think it is that they bring in someone like a Zach Robinson or a, or a Nick Cayley where they do have New England ties, but they also have perspective from outside the organization? I, I do think that McDaniels should be at the top of Mayo's list. I think the the wild card here is, you know, what what's Belichick's next job? If <clears throat> Belichick goes to Atlanta and says, I want Josh McDaniels to come with me, does McDaniels want to 
remain in Foxborough, which is a place that's been familiar to him, a place where he knows that he can have some success for a while, or does he want to go to Atlanta and think to himself, well, you know, I don't know if this is going to be more than two years or however this goes. Now, let's say Dallas opens up and Belichick goes to Dallas. Let's in that hypothetical that everybody's sort of been speculating on for mm-hmm. a couple of days. If McDaniels has the opportunity to go to Dallas, I mean, that's that's a great job. Like that's, that's nice. <laughs> they're going to be immediate Super Bowl favorites if Belichick yeah. winds up down there. So mm-hmm. I, I would certainly understand why McDaniels would take Dallas over New England if if. You know, again, all these stars align, that opportunity presents itself. I think another interesting situation, too, is, you know, if Belichick really is only in this for like two years and those 15 wins and whatever that happens to take, you know, ownership is going to look at this and say, I'm I'm taking a risk because I'm hiring a coach who's about to turn 72, might only be here for two years, maybe a max of three. What's going to be the plan beyond that? And if you're McDaniels and you sit there and say, well, the chances of me getting a third head coaching job right now are slim to, to none. And and none is kind of the favorite in that category right there. But if he goes with Belichick and they have success for a couple of years and Belichick retires and Belichick says, Hey, I want you to promote Josh, like give him the chance to keep this thing going. Yeah. Now all of a sudden McDaniels does have a really good path to that third head coaching job. So I think that's a really interesting part in play here. Now, if Mayo is not able to keep McDaniels for any of those reasons, then I think Bill O'Brien is certainly worth consideration. You, you wonder, I mean, they, those guys at Gillette Stadium certainly have a better feel than we do for why the offense fell apart and how much O'Brien is really to blame for that. Or if you want to start, you know, you, you talk about like, okay, well, if it's not O'Brien, maybe maybe Mayo sits, sits, sits here and says O'Brien deserves 70% of the credit or the blame. And, um, you know, that's, let's just move on. Let's find somebody else. You look at a, a Nick Cayley or a Bo Hardigree, you know, mm-hmm. you get a little more um, outside the comfort zone. Maybe you look at whatever happens with Kellen Moore. I mean, if Moore doesn't get a head coaching job, which a few months ago uh, seemed unfathomable, seemed like he was yeah. going to be on the short list of a lot of these jobs. Now all of a sudden Staley's gone. And if Moore doesn't get the Chargers job or a job elsewhere, he's going to need to be an OC. So maybe you go to Kellen Moore. And you run the risk of saying, hey, you know what? If he runs a good offense for a year, we're doing the same thing a year from now. But go back to an earlier point. That's a feather in the cap, in my opinion. Um, or maybe you look at like a Liam Cohen, who came from the Sean McVay system and is down at Kentucky now. Maybe you make that call. Like if you want to try to m- bring this offense into a different type of era, mm-hmm. you know, try to get a little more creative. But I think with every move that we've seen made so far, and only one is technically beneficial with the Mayo promotion, but we've Mm -hmm. seen a lot of reasons to believe the continuity is going to be a big part of this process. So I think it's going to start with McDaniels and those in-house types of candidates. That makes sense. And we don't even know yet what Mayo's offensive style is. That's one thing I want to ask him tomorrow is, is your philosophy like, all right, you're a linebacker. You'd assume it's like maybe exotic smash mouth where, you know, you want to run the ball, but you also want to have the flexibility to pass. Because we know Bill O'Brien, he'll run the ball, but he's more of a pass-minded guy where he's trying to throw the ball. We saw with Zappy. I thought he was going to start running the ball 40 times a game. He's like, no, we're still going to let Zappy sling that thing until he literally proves us that we have to uh, go on to the run game. So another interesting point. Last thing I want to bring up with you. Now, this is the first uh, reports that we've gotten about actual interviews. So yesterday it was reported 
not, not only did Tem Lukabu get uh, Lukabu, I'm sorry, uh, have an interview for the defensive coordinator spot, which is now vacant because that was Mayo's de facto role. We also found out that Steve and Brian Belichick, it was assumed they might follow their dad wherever he goes, but they have been offered the opportunity to stay with the team. Now, Steve and Mayo have a close relationship. They spent a lot of time together when Mayo was a player and was on injured reserve. Then when he joined the staff, the two worked together to basically run the defense where Mayo was the coordinator and Steve was the play caller. So they have a really tight bond. Would make sense for him to stay. Then Brian is the safeties coach. Uh, we also heard that Marquise Williams, a special teams coach for the Falcons, they requested an interview. They didn't get it yet. I believe he actually had an interview request blocked when the Giants wanted to talk to him. Uh, but how do you see that part of the staff bailing out, like the defense and the special teams, where it seems like a lot could go on. You could lose guys, get special teams. You're well within your right to just say, we need a clean slate because for two years it has not been working. So for that, one thing I also want to bring up for uh, Lukabu is the fact that he does now satisfy the Rooney rule. So it could be a similar situation to Adrian Clem last year where you bring him in for the offensive coordinator job, but you know who you actually want, and he's interviewing for a position coach job, which could be linebackers or what have you. So what was your uh, reaction to some of the news yesterday in terms of who they interviewed and who they're trying to interview so far? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that um, defensively, because like you said, I mean, that's Mayo's specialty, that he's mm -hmm. willing to kind of go outside of the Patriots' umbrella. So what does that say? I mean, what does that, what does he want his defense to look like? I think we were all sort of assuming there's going to be a lot of continuity and, and I'm sure there will be uh, to a great degree. But if you do bring in somebody from outside that sphere, you know, what, uh, where, what direction is that going to head? So I, I thought, um, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I don't have the same Intel. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not saying this, I've gotten in trouble doing this before. As far as like bringing in Steve Belichick, I don't have the info, the intel that that's uh, a possibility. I'm not refuting that report is what I'm trying to like cover my bases as. Um, so I don't know, but I, I thought like, yeah, if Bill Belichick takes a job, whether it's Atlanta or Dallas or on the moon, if the Belichick sons don't follow him, I think everybody would be absolutely stunned. Now, if Belichick doesn't get one of these jobs, I, I don't. Yeah, I certainly can see um, both sons staying on board because they do have that continuity. And, you know, maybe it'd be a little weird, you know, go back to, you know, Steve Belichick could think, well, what's my future here? Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I think, you know, it's also having a job is, is better than the alternative. So uh, it, it's really interesting because they have they'll have some decisions to make and mm -hmm. we'll find out because this has been this is so new to everybody around the league. The fact that Bill Belichick was vulnerable to having to move on and, and not just that, but potentially coaching somewhere else. And when you look at trying to, let's say, poach an assistant coach from a different staff, nobody's going to come after somebody with the last name Belichick. So that was like, you know, when you got like, it's like a free agent board for players, you got that for the coaches too nobody's going to have Steve Belichick on their board. So it's not even like anybody really knows, like it's hard to know like what people around the league feel about these guys mm -hmm. because they were never true candidates to leave new England. So I just think, you know, maybe this isn't a great answer for your question because I don't have any like defined opinions on it. I just think it's interesting for all those reasons that are still unknown because we're so, so early and fresh in this process. 
I, interesting is just a great banner for what this offseason's been so far. There is so much that we could speculate. We could talk ourselves in the circles. I've done it several times already. But at the very least, we're seeing, all right, Belichick is out of the equation, and there's a good chance that we're going to see a lot of the pieces that were right behind him in high-ranking positions get an opportunity to show what they can do with their own influences. It's going to be fascinating. Jeff, thank you so much for being on, man. I really appreciate your time. I'm sure everybody knows where they can find you, but – just to cover all our bases, let the people know what your handles are, where they can get your work, and also what's coming down the pipeline that we should be looking out for. Uh, yeah, I'm at Jeff P. Howe on Twitter or whatever that app is called these days. I don't have any other social media because I'm on the wrong side of 40 and I don't know how to use my phone <laughs> with more than two apps at a time. Uh, what's coming down the pipeline? I mean, every week throughout the playoffs, uh, I started doing this last year. I started to have a lot of fun with it where I asked people around the league for their picks, uh, in the wild card divisional championship games and kind of get some feedback from, you know, members of different organizations, coaches, executives, and stuff like that. I think it's a cool way to look at things. Um, one of, one of my voters texted me on uh, Saturday saying they, they apologized for getting the Texans Browns thing wrong. I said, don't worry about it. Uh, my voters were 0 for 7 on that one. So sometimes everybody just sorts of, sort of misses. Uh, but those are fun to do. I, I've got a story coming up. I think it's probably this week on C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. And, you know, did the Panthers get the pick wrong? Or was there a lot more to it than that? Uh, I got some pretty cool opinions on that story. And then uh, we'll just sort of see how the rest of the coaching stuff shakes out. I can't wait to check that out. Once again, thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you all for watching. Appreciate you tuning in. As always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we will see you next time.